You're listening to You're listening to the Collabcast, a podcast about pop culture and the creative life from an Asian American perspective. And hey everyone, welcome to the Collabcast. It is Friday, June the 22nd, 2018. My name is Marvin Yue, and as you can hear, I'm here on my own this week. Uh, it's been kind of a busy week for us at Collaboration. Uh, we've been working on a lot of events and projects, and hopefully we'll be making some announcements soon. Um, so for this week, I decided to dig back into the vault and bring you a segment that you may or may not have heard before. Uh, for those of you who have been following us from the beginning, you might know that in 2016, we had tried to start a narrative uh, journalism podcast called Collab Presents, where we aim to bring you stories from around the community in an audio narrative format. Um, that lasted for two episodes before we realized how much work that would actually take. Um, but uh, we're looking to bring that format back for future episodes of the Collabcast. And in that vein, I wanted to share with you a segment that we did for episode two of that series that is pretty near and dear to my heart. And that is the interview that I conducted with my friend, Chef Tim Ma, um, owner of the Tim Ma Restaurant Group uh, based out of Washington, D.C., I had met Tim years ago while I was uh, finishing up my graduate degree at the University of Maryland and working alongside the team at Collaboration DC. Um, back then, he was an up-and-coming chef that had been gaining local renown through the local uh, food publications. And um, I was very excited to get to know this up-and-coming Asian-American chef. Um, he has a great story uh, about how he started out as an engineer and what it took for him to essentially will his way into... Um, becoming one of the rising stars in the D.C. culinary scene. He now owns a very renowned restaurant in the D.C. area and is uh, working on a lot of really cool projects. Um, but this interview took place about two years ago, back when he was um, still building up his third restaurant, um, Kirisan. I had a great time producing this segment, and if you enjoy it, um, please let me know. And if you have any subjects that you'd like to pitch uh, for us to look into in this type of way, um, I would be happy to take your suggestions. Um, as always, you can email us at podcast at collaboration.org. So without further ado, here is a remastered um, interview segment with um, my friend Tim Ma. Enjoy. So my name is Tim Ma. I own a group called the Tim Ma Restaurant Group, which is... Uh, right now, a group of three restaurants, uh, starting with the most casual one is Chase the Submarine, which is kind of like a sandwich butcher shop, uh, Water and Wall, which is kind of a contemporary casual restaurant, now Kirasan, which is kind of like an upscale dining restaurant. I am of Chinese descent, and I was born in Jonesboro, Arkansas, so kind of like off the beaten path a little bit. We were definitely... Uh, when my parents were naturalized as citizens, we were on the front page of the paper, and like that was that was uh, gives you a sense of what Arkansas was like back in the late seventies, early eighties. Um, also dealing with like you know bricks coming through our window, like literally that happens in the middle of the night, or that happened to us in the middle of the night. Um, so some good memories of Arkansas. <laughs> 
even though Tim is now an executive chef in the culinary field, he had a pretty typical Asian American upbringing. Well, I graduated Georgia Tech in 2000. I was an electrical engineering major um, and then came back to the Washington, D.C. area to work for uh, a government agency like pretty much every other engineer here in the area does. Yeah. Um, and then in 2003, I decided to go get my master's because I was like, this is the career that I'm going to go after for the rest of my life. Um, go get the master's, you know, consider, you know, going the academic route and doing the PhD. And um, So I went and did my master's first at Johns Hopkins and then graduated in 2004. I moved back in with my parents and ended up working for a big company um, called Raytheon here in the area. And, and I worked for them for a long time and was moving my way up to, you know, your dream of middle management. And, and, and near the near the end of that in, in 2008 is, you know, kind of what my parents call the midlife crisis, which it was. It's a midlife crisis. You, you start to evaluate what you're going to do for the rest of your life. I looked at where you're going to be, and I think a lot of people who change careers have that same feeling in that, okay, you're missing something or your primary function is to do something outside of work. And so I remember a very specific time in 2006, I was actually in LA with my sister who lived there at the time and I was eating dinner with her and her um, now husband, back then fiance. I was like, you know, I, I, I think I want to open a restaurant. And that was like the, the very first thing was, you know, actually eating in this LA restaurant. I know a couple of LA restaurants and I, I kind of knew that, um, you know, I wanted to open a restaurant. So, so that was the very first step. Now, though Tim himself was new to the culinary industry, the food business was not a new thing for the Ma family. So restaurants are always in my family. So my uncle who owned the restaurant in New York and then my parents who ran a restaurant for a very short amount of time and had a very unfavorable experience. Other than just seeing that from the outsider's perspective, I've, ne I've never worked in a restaurant before that. I was just like, oh, yeah, you, you sit in a dining room of a busy restaurant, you're like, I want to open a restaurant. And that's kind of where I was. And there, there's nothing wrong with that. There, there isn't, because um, at the end of the day, that's what you work towards is that experience that you see. But that was the first step in 2006, so two years before anything happened. And then in 2008, actually around that time that I was starting to transition is when I met Joey. The Joey he mentions is Joey Ma, his wife and business partner. So we met through our uh, mutual friends. So his, his best friend from middle school, high school, happened to be working with my best friend from middle school and high school. And so we would just all hang out, and that's just, that's just how we met. And I did not realize at that point that he was going through what he calls his midlife crisis, but I quickly found that after that. When we first started dating, we would have these, like dinner parties where he would cook and you know we would invite friends over and and um it was just fun it was it was really fun we would cook steak and cook all these other things and we started getting into his uncle paul's um like recipes um and um and so we started doing that and then you know just after i think it was after one of these dinner parties that i just asked a simple question and i said you know if if there was anything in the world that you'd want to do what would it be? And he said, I'd open a restaurant. And at that point, he um, was a very successful electrical engineer um, with a master's in electrical engineering. And so to me, like, you know, yes, you know, you have your education. It's great. You have a great, you know, you, 
you've worked so hard to get that and, and it's you know it should be something you're proud of um, but at the same time I, I was brought up to believe that you know your job and your career doesn't define you it's a part of who you are but it's not who you are and she was really the one who pushed me because she's the type to say you know oh you want to go do that why aren't you doing that whereas you know she's Salvadorian of El Salvadorian descent whereas the Asian in you says why would you screw up you know you went to you, you went to Georgia Tech you went to Johns Hopkins you have a great career you work for a great company you're set why 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 so the the, the Asian in me was just like yeah no why 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 what, what are you talking about and and <clears throat> she's a dreamer and um, is still always pushing me towards that dream and it's like okay well what do you want to do why aren't you doing it and so you know we had just started dating I was like oh yeah you're right I should <laughs> I should totally just be doing this you know why not try it the worst thing that can happen is it doesn't work out and his plan B is a lot better than a lot of a lot of plans out there it's like okay well I'll go back and work for the government as an electrical engineer like not too shabby of a plan so um, it was around his birthday that I got him um, a we went to New York City and I and I surprised him with a three-day seminar at one of the culinary schools on how to open a restaurant and I'll never forget like he finished that seminar and we were on the bus on the way back from New York City and just the way that his face looked, his eyes, like the way that he was talking about the seminar and like all these endless possibilities of if I opened a restaurant, when I open a restaurant, this is what I would do, this is how I would do it. And I had never seen that level of excitement um, for anything at this point from him. So it was kind of one of those light bulb moments. With his mind made up, Tim knew that there was still one thing he needed to do something he learned while watching his parents run a restaurant. There was an experience in my parents' restaurant. So, um, the, well, I guess the funny story is that my parents' restaurant called Bamboo Garden in this little town of, um, I can't remember the name of the town in Arkansas, is actually still open to this day. Like, whatever, 30 years later. They had a chef that, like, when the restaurant opened, it was amazing. Like, you know, everybody was flocking to the restaurant. It was new to the area. And the chef saw the the money that my parents were making and just one day stopped coming in. Um, And then, you know, I don't know how much time later, across the street, he opened a Chinese restaurant and just totally crushed my parents. Like, I took that lesson all the way to 2008, was like, okay, well, if I'm going to open a restaurant... Don't make this mistake. If a chef gets up and leaves you or he has you by your balls, um, what do you do? Well, okay, let me go to culinary school. Let me learn how to cook in today's age and use um, that knowledge as backup. Because still, I still only wanted to own a restaurant. I didn't want to be a chef. I wanted to go to culinary school to learn the language, to talk the talk, um, to kind of walk the walk in the kitchen. Um, and so that's what I did. That's why I enrolled in culinary school. Not, not to be a chef. Not because I idolized any chef. Was, you know, I wanted to learn from the lessons that my parents were trying to teach me. I guess. So I went to culinary school. Within one month, I started to. I didn't even know how to hold a knife. It was scary. I was 30 years old. Didn't know how to hold a knife because I didn't cook. 
walked in the first day of culinary school and then looked around at everybody and looked around in New York City is like you're just surrounded by this culture of restaurants and food and chefs and um, actually started to fall in love with professional cooking I still hated home cooking I still hate home cooking to this day I, I, I don't cook at home like last night after service I go upstairs and uh, you know I, I ate four hot dogs with ketchup and relish and um, so I still don't cook at home but I started to love cooking and I started to realize why I started to love professional cooking it's the same thing over and over and you know you may be good at it one day but the next day you may not be as good you're only really as good as what you did in the last service and I, I kind of like that challenge and I liked being consistent I liked repetition um, and I enjoyed that part at that period of time that's what cooking is at that period of time when you're a cook you're doing the same thing the exact same or you're trying to do the same thing the exact same way every day day in day out loved it um found a restaurant and a chef that i wanted to work for that happened to be david chang little did i know he was um gonna blow up to be what he is today like you know he's a guy that is will go down as a guy who made a mark in food like if you think about that impact it's like you know holy shit how lucky did i get at that time to to run across him and just be able to even do my externship with with his restaurant group tim graduated from the french culinary institute in 2009 and started thinking about his next move and started thinking about his next move so new york's a tough city it'll it'll burn you out and i don't think i was ready for that to be honest and I was on burnout pace, even though, you know, I was only working there like a handful of days, going to school five days a week. Um, but uh, eight bucks an hour, man, you can't even, you can barely live on the outskirts of Brooklyn for eight bucks an hour. Um, so we ended up, like, at that point, selling my our, our cars. So we sold our cars at that point to pay the bills and just not knowing an end point. So we got to this point where... Um, I just graduated. I was working um, as a cook, and we decided. I mean, this is what you do when you're 30 and you got no responsibilities. And um, yeah, I was just randomly on Craigslist and happened to hit uh, U.S. Virgin Islands food, beverage, hospitality jobs, and there was a cook position. And I just randomly sent in my resume over, and they're like, "You know, you're hired." Um, you know, a culinary student who worked in New York City who wants to come down and cook in the Caribbean, like, that's that's maybe sometimes hard to find, I guess. And so, like, offered me a job without, like, even an interview or getting on the phone. Accepted the job without an interview or getting on the phone. <laughs> and then flew down there with barely, uh, you know, barely a place to stay. Um, barely knowing if I actually had a job or not or what this restaurant was um, and just flew down there my first day was Valentine's Day 2009 I think and I walked into this incredibly busy restaurant um, on the far side of St. Thomas and cooked six days a week you know in the hottest kitchen that you would ever believe because it was no air conditioning on a Caribbean island without ventilation it was hot um so we stayed down there a couple months um and 
work six days a week. That seventh day, we'd go to the beach and draw up a business plan. Okay, we're going to open a restaurant. I'm the chef. You're the manager. Let's go. Um, so that, that was, uh, we finished up our plan. We, you know, <laughs> finally told my parents, hey, we want to open a restaurant. They're like, and I think at that point, they would just say anything to get us back on at that point. So they're like, yeah, sure, come on, we'll help you out. And so we landed back in Virginia at that point. This was, you know, second quarter, 2009 sometime. Um, and then we land, you know, say hi to my parents. First thing is we set up a desk in my parents' basement and start searching for a restaurant. And so, I mean, we, we searched through restaurants through a couple avenues. Um, and, and, we, and then we found this little taco restaurant in the middle of Vienna, which we... We knew Vienna, but we never lived in Vienna. We had no idea what Vienna was. Um, and found a restaurant, a little Spanish restaurant that was willing to sell for l- literally peanuts in relative terms. And stupidly bought it, you know. And my parents, you know, gave me whatever money they promised us, which wasn't a lot. It wasn't, it was just barely enough to purchase the restaurant. And the rest of the money to purchase everything else was. We just charged it on credit cards. That was Maple Ave, yeah. We bought it, you know, second quarter of 2009. And we went through and we, you know, we cleaned up the restaurant, tore down drywall. We happened to have close and dear friends who still help us to this day. Was One's a lawyer, one's an architect. One was just very good at doing, like, contracting work. Again, we got lucky. It's a perfect time in our lives where nobody had kids. Everybody was just kind of just enjoying their lives. And so what they would do was get off work, 5, 6 o'clock, drive over to the restaurant in Vienna and help us tear down drywall, polish chairs. We'd order takeout, eat a bunch of food, like, on the floor of the restaurant, and then work till midnight. Everybody would go home. We'd do it the next day. Built the restaurant. opened in August 2009 ton of people coming through the door and when i say ton of people we had nine tables and so we filled the nine tables so let's let's put it like that we filled nine tables and we did that for two months and then the tables in the third or fourth month they started to run empty at this point cracks were forming in his dream job and tim found himself facing the same challenges any new restaurant has to deal with how to stay alive we didn't really understand why well the reason people were coming to the door is we were just a new restaurant they wanted to see what it was and we in all honesty weren't doing things great um and then ran out of money very very quickly and that's what i say um now i mean i understand how restaurants run closed so quickly because that money flies you think you you know you have a hundred thousand dollars and then you know in two months that can go very quickly yeah there were some very tough moments like it's it's funny because obviously, you know, we, you know, uh, I always say you don't know where you're going to, you know, to you realize and acknowledge where you come from. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, we try to remind our team, um, you know, there's a handful of us that were there. Actually, there's three of us that were there um, during the bad times where, you know, we would have nobody come through our doors and, you know, we didn't have any other jobs. We didn't have any other income. Um, and so it was kind of one of those things that, we needed people to come in um, and people weren't coming in. Okay, being middle management in a big corporation is one thing. And you think, oh yeah, I know how to manage people. 
Um, you, you have to be a motivator, you have to be an accountant, you have to be a plumber, an electrician, and a restaurant owner, and then you're a chef. And I wasn't even a chef. I called myself chef naively at, at that time, but I was barely a cook at that time. I had been in the industry only a year. And so I was prime, like I was probably on everybody's blog saying this restaurant's prime for going out of business because it's the, the culinary kid who's worked for a year and opened a restaurant. Like I'm counting the days so he shuts down and you know, they were almost right in 2000, in December 2009. I remember working Christmas day, like this, this was the harsh reality of, of what it was at the time. We, we had to open Christmas, Christmas day because we had no money. So we opened Christmas, one table came through and we, you know, we did our best to make them so happy. And we were so grateful for this one table to come through on Christmas. And, you know, that's just a glimpse of what that period of time was like. Again, like another night where you sit there, a normal night, and nobody comes to the restaurant. Is There's nothing more, for one, morale for the staff, morale for you. Uh, you know, you have some sense of pride, and you're just like, I'm... I'm doing something wrong. What am I doing wrong? Well, this one night, nobody comes to the restaurant. Literally nobody comes to the restaurant. I, I, yeah, I remember ended up, we ended up just cooking some of the food for the staff, and the staff sat in the front and just ate with us. When I say staff, we were, it was like me and three other people. So it's disheartening. It's embarrassing. It's, God, it was, it was such, a, such a tough period of time. At this point, faced with the failure of his dream, Tim decided that if he was going to go down, he was going to go down swinging. I think that's when I actually started to learn how to cook because I had no staff. Um, I, have, I had one staff member who stayed with me. Everybody else either quit or I let them go because we just couldn't afford them. And so it was me and one other guy, and actually that guy still works for me, and Joey. I think that's when I, you know, I actually started to learn, okay, what is this whole cooking thing, professional cooking thing for real, not like in culinary school it's you're you're protected in the real world you're not protected and you're you're open to criticism you're open to uh well if you're charging people you should be able to take the criticism of everybody and, and you've got to make the corrections where you see fit and so started to learn how to cook um and started to kind of not not give not give an f anymore you know because we were going out of business so we were just like you know, let's just go out of business swinging. Um, and so started to bring in interesting things that I wanted to cook, started, you know, not trying to conform. Like, I think we were trying to conform to be another restaurant. And now we were just like, okay, well, we're just going to spend our money on things that we want to learn how to cook. And I think that started to turn. And it actually turned very quickly. Um, and it's, it's interesting in that this business is super fickle. You know, you're, if you're bad one night, you may never see that person again. Um, but then if you're bad one night and the next night you're good, you may see them again. And they don't, they don't, they forget that bad experience. And I think that's what started to happen. And then we got lucky again. Um, you know, someone from the Washington Post just, I think, happened to accidentally come to our restaurant. <laughs> Um, and we were doing good things that night. We were good that night. Um, and maybe they came again. I don't know, because I don't even know they were food critics. Uh, and they wrote about us in March or February of 2010. And we got a bump. You know, we, we started 
people started coming again. We were like, oh, maybe we're doing something right. And then we, we kept just going. I'll say that like in the business, in the restaurant business, if things start rolling downhill very quickly, like it's, it's like a snowball effect, it'll happen. But the same thing, if things start going very well for you and you continue on that same path, like, you know, you keep going up very quickly and it can happen so fast. And that's essentially what started to happen to us. Um, you know, there, there was a gap where there was trouble again, where it was kind of the same thing. But we learned our lessons very quickly, made the corrections immediately, and then in 2011 or 12, I think we started to, things just started to click. Um, and every, it sounds very cliche and that it happens, but it actually just happened where everything just fell in line. There's a magazine in Northern Virginia that rates restaurants. The first year we were rated number fifty, and we were like off the off the wall. Like, oh my god, we're we're in this list of we're one of the fifty best restaurants in Northern Virginia. Like, we were bankrupt a year ago, and then next year we were number six, and then the next year we were number one. And you know, it's over the course of three years, but like, it's fast. And um, you know, all of a sudden we were a restaurant where if you didn't have a reservation, and some people had made reservations every week. They were like, don't ever cancel my reservation. They came every Friday, um, and they had the same table every night, and we had it for them, and they they did it for years. Um, and that's what you want to get to. With a lot of luck and even more grit, Tim and Joey rolled the momentum of their success at Maple Ave to open their second full-size restaurant in Arlington, Virginia, called Water & Wall. The success of that restaurant led to the opening of a sandwich shop called Chase the Submarine, named after their oldest son, right across the street from their first restaurant. In 2016, their growing restaurant empire finally expanded into DC proper with the opening of Kurosan. Having found success by tapping into his own unique perspectives, Tim's personal style as a chef is now more developed than ever. I, I think, and I'll, yeah, I don't think I realized this early on, but I'm starting to realize this now. And uh, I think I'm starting to come into this period of time of uh, at least my cooking style, and that um, I'm learning a lot about what I have been doing and what it is and it's just like you know I've been drawing so much on foods that were familiar to me when I grew up and I would love to take that and I only knew one way to cook because I didn't grow up cooking I didn't start cooking until I was 30 I couldn't even I could barely microwave anything um, let alone cook something Um, and so the only way I knew how to cook was French cooking and the only food that grew up eating was Chinese food um, but like very homely Chinese food and like, you know, I never ate in my, my parents' restaurant or my uncle's restaurant. I would just eat family meal with them. And so, you know, I've been, and I've been doing this actually since the beginning. It's like anything that I've cooked, even if it's something super French, I've always tried to interject something that I've done or I've seen in my childhood and growing up. And now I think I'm starting to approach, you know, while I'm taking a dish that I have eaten my entire life and trying to inject French into it rather than the other way around. Um, and so uh, I'm beginning to learn that I guess that's what kind of chef I am right now. And um, I'll say that I wasn't self-aware back then. I'll probably say that I think I'm self-aware now. And 10 years from now, I'll be like, I had no idea what I was doing back then. But it's been interesting to, to see what I'm doing and what I've done and why I've done it. Um, I think for me, it's it's one of those things that, you know, he gets to do what he wants and he's 
having fun in the kitchen and his team's having fun with him. Um, and so the food that is being put on our menus, that's being plated, um, there's a lot of thought behind it. There's a lot of excitement behind it from all of us, um, not just the folks that are cooking it, but all of us that are serving it. Like we, we're excited that people are really receptive to trying new things. Like I, you know, I mentioned having the congee on as a special, and I literally was like, I don't know if if people will order it, you know, and it's an amazing dish and there's, and there's so much thought and there's so much history to it, um, from, you know, his parents and his grandparents. And, and so like, you always want to make sure that you're doing the, the dish justice by either cooking it or by serving it at the table. Um, so I think one of the best things that has come out of Kirasan is that, you know, people are recognizing that he's doing something a little bit different. Um, and I love the fact that people are excited about it and they're open and they're receptive. And, you know, we yesterday we had like, you know, a, a lot of our tables try kanji for the first time and they were like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Um, so it's 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 very reassuring. Um, and then it also helps keep the team motivated. Um, and, and it keeps us wanting to learn more um, and wanting to learn more from the kitchen and, and see what else they can come up with. So. For the time being, life is good for Tim and Joey, or at least as good as it can be balancing, raising three kids, running a restaurant, and taking on new and exciting food projects. I asked Tim and Joey about their dreams for their kids. I, I think as a second generation um, Asian, you know, now we have there's a certain amount of American values that we carry over. And like, you know, now my, my kids are like five, three and one now into this age where they have, um, you know, one day my daughter says, I want to be a chef and she wants to cook. And I'm like, okay, like perfect. And I want her to be greater than me at whatever she wants to do. And I want I think part of the influence of my parents were so, they're going to hate me for saying this, but restrictive, like, oh, I want to be a computer science major. No. Oh, it's not my choice? No, it's not your choice. I'm paying paying for your degree. I'm paying for your engineering degree. I'm sorry, I'm not paying for your computer science degree. I want to turn around and I, I want my kids to have a life better than me. That's the Asian side of it. The American side is, um, you know, I don't want, I want you to do what you want to do. Um, you know, d- daddy will provide for you forever. Don't worry, go, you know, go do whatever you want to do. Um, but I don't want to tell them. I want them to figure it out for their own. To me, for, for our children, what I would want to do is expose them to as many different things as possible and really open their eyes to not just what's going on here, but like their their Chinese heritage and their Central American heritage and making sure that you know, they they go for their dreams and whatever we can do to help them get there is, I think it's what the, what our part is. You know, it's it's really interesting because, you know, my, my mom will speak to our kids in Spanish uh, a lot of the times. And then um, Tim's parents will speak to them in Mandarin. Um, and then we come home and we speak English. And so I think the, the cool thing is that they they really are being exposed to a lot of different things, uh, of different cultures. I think from uh, from me, I think it's really cool that I get to also learn a lot from from my in-laws. Um, 
I love it. I love learning. And in the same token, like, you know, I think that's the same thing that, that Tim does is, you know, he learns about how our culture um, interacts with each other. And, and, you know, he understands the that there's there's really not a lot of difference in terms of like, you know, in both the Asian and Hispanic cultures, there's a big sense of family. Um, and that really plays a big part in actually in, in us being able to run restaurants because his mom and my mom are the ones that help us with the kids. And so it's, it's pretty cool that, yes, we you know it's two very different cultures, but when you get down to it, it's, it's really just about family and passing on the knowledge that each side of the family has to the kids. I, I think I grew up within certain molds, um, and that's kind of somewhat of the Chinese way is that you figure this mold, you're good at math and science, engineer. It's like, you know, it's not a choose-your-own-adventure. It's just kind of like this, you know, uh, flowchart kind of thing. Um, and so I would, I, I kind of want to make sure I want the kids to s- still choose what they want to do. Like, okay, you're good at math and science, but who cares? Go and be a soccer star or, or don't even be a star. Just be a soccer player, you know? It's like uh, as long as they're happy. And, like, I think happiness is... Right now, what I want for them is happiness to Trump success. Um, and if those two fall in line together, great. Tim's flagship DC restaurant, Kirasan, was named after his kids. The K stands for the generational name in their Chinese names. And Irasan is a phonetic translation of the Chinese 1, 2, and 3. Since the recording of this interview, Tim has continued to serve and wow his diners with new experiences, combining his perspectives, his culture, and his training. Tim has also become a leader in sustainable cooking, finding ways to create delicious meals out of the parts of foods that traditionally get thrown away. Since the recording of this interview, Tim has closed down his first and second restaurants, Maple Ave and Water and Wall, to focus on his DC ventures. With another new project opening in DC in the next couple of months, Tim seems busier than ever. And while I'm here in the West Coast, it's been great to hear news of his business blossoming and succeeding. And with that, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Collabcast. Um, if any of you are ever in the D.C. area, please check out Tim's restaurant, Kurasan. You won't be disappointed. As always, you can reach the Collabcast by emailing us at podcast at Subscribe to us on Google Play Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Leave us a nice rating review on iTunes if you have the chance. And please send us feedback on this episode. Um, if you enjoyed it, if you want to hear more like it, we would definitely love to know your thoughts. This podcast was a production of Collaboration, a nonprofit organization supporting Asian Americans in the arts and entertainment. Discovering, elevating, showcasing, and connecting the creative talents of the Asian American community in North America and beyond. You can learn more about Collaboration by going to our website at www.collaboration.org. We're also a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices from around the community. You can learn more about the great programs of the collective as well as listen to our fellow Potluck shows by checking us out at podcastpotluck.com. Special thanks to Matt Amadell for use of his song, Dumb, uh, for this episode's intro and outro. And with that, thanks for listening to this episode of the Collabcast. Uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. You probably thought I was delusional You messed me up real bad, you left me mental Whoever thought that I would be coming back into your arms, your arms, you left your mind apart but I ain't loving it You play me bad, real bad, and you some cheap shit I never thought that you would be about the lane But you're clicking on me, maybe you must think I'm